It was funny, as we just talked about those different carol services, like one, poop, one person whooping here, one. I feel like we've not quite entered the Christmas excitement just yet. Christmas carols. Yeah, there we go. Well done. It's the start of a long journey for the next four weeks. Uh, well, many of you know, I've got a pretty messed up relationship with food. So growing up, uh, it was uh, a big reward system that my family was into. So if you did something good, you'd get snacks, you'd get treats. And uh, growing up, we didn't really have much, and so there wasn't really treats or chocolate in the house. And so when it was, I learned that special moments are to be celebrated with special treats. And over the years, that's become quite a strong coping mechanism. So if I was celebrating, I would want to make sure I ate chocolates. And if I was a bit down, I'd want to make sure that I ate chocolates. <laughs> and if I needed a pick-me-up, I'd make sure that I ate chocolate. And over the last 15 years, I think, well, I've been super aware of some of those dynamics. Uh, I've tried to undo some of those things. And I've got a lot better at spotting when temptation to go to food rather than God uh, is sort of really apparent. So my current battle, just like for vulnerability, is chocolate buttons. Okay, Cadbury's chocolates buttons have got my name written all over. And if I'm really honest, on my really bad days, you know the giant Toblerone bars that you can buy at the airport but also in most shops? Like, uh, genuinely, if I'm not doing very well, I just want to buy one and secretly eat it. So I don't always have this relationship with chocolate. And so if you do see me eating chocolate, know that my world might not be collapsing <laughs> in that moment. It's just like a little temptation. And I know it's a small thing. I know it sounds a little bit crazy even saying it out loud. But... Um, it's a reality for me, and it's a battle that I sometimes win, and I sometimes lose. And my guess is, you guys have similar areas of weakness or temptation, where for whatever reason, you are just sort of, I don't know, you perhaps look to some stuff to give you what only God can give you, or perhaps you fall into being very controlling to manage things when you feel out of control, or maybe you tip over into getting quite angry and frustrated with your kids, and you end up being quite harsh. Or perhaps for some of you, it's lust. For some of you, it might be lying or buying stuff to make you feel better, or to go to extreme lengths to make sure you look good in front of others. We have all got our stuff. Anyone here with me? Yeah, we've got our stuff. And so for whatever reason in life, we have these moments where we're tempted not to obey God, we're tempted to sort of not obey the Spirit and do the stuff you know God wasn't, doesn't want you to do. And for me, in the last you know, 15 years, particularly with food, it leaves me wondering, what can I do to mature in this area? Like, what, what is it that God has for me to help me become a more mature person in that area? How do I grow in holiness? How do I make better choices? How do we as a church family, if we get the small things right, uh, when it comes to the big temptations, 
we've built some muscle, spiritual muscle memory, so we're able to say yes to God when the time comes. And so today's passage is really, really going to help us with this. But not in the way, once we've read it, I think you're all going to be expecting. Because we're going to look at how Jesus resisted temptation and how that impacts all of us. And I've called today your who unlocks your do. Can everyone say that after me? Your who unlocks your do. And if you're not Christian here today, uh, well done for making it to church. As I speak, more than anything, I just want you to be really impressed with Jesus. I mean, that would be a win for us as we read and focus on Jesus. You're just like, wow, he is someone that's worth my time. But I also hope you see that you may think Christianity is all about trying to be a good person. And I want you to see today that there's a much deeper reality at work for the Christian. And hopefully by the end, you'll have spotted it. So Matthew 4, 1 to 11, it's going to be on the screen. But if you do actually have a Bible or a phone with it on, I encourage you to get out. We're going to spend all our time here. No one's moving whatsoever. But uh, Matthew 4... Verses 1 to 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Again, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow, bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and the angel came and attended him. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is powerful and effective. And we just open our hearts to you today. We just admit, Lord, we need help right now to defeat temptation in our lives. And we ask you to help us in your name. Amen. So we've got Jesus. Um, it's right at the start of his ministry, just before it publicly kicks off. He's just been baptized and the Spirit sends him out into the wilderness. He's not eaten for 40 days and nights and the devil comes to him. And obviously the devil's purpose is to thwart his mission, to destroy his integrity, to really change his resolve to obey God. And so three times he's tempted and three times he resists. Now lots of great preachers that you may have heard will probably want to highlight Jesus' ability to quote the Bible when he's tempted to turn the stone into bread or to call on God to save him as he jumps from a height or to bow down and worship the devil. 
And they talk to you about how we need to know and understand what God's word says. We need to know it better. We need to know how to use it to counteract temptation. And I think they're not wrong. And that's a personal practice of mine. Each morning, I try to make myself happy in God, using a phrase from George Muller. Uh, so I'm currently reading a psalm and a chapter from the Gospels. And I use them just simply to get my focus on God, to let his word speak to my soul. I'm trying to connect my soul to how good God is. And it leads me to think of what I'm thankful for in his character and what he's done for me and, and what he's like in the words that I read. And this genuinely just sets my heart at the start of the day to seek joy and satisfaction from him rather than in sin. And it reminds me of the, sort of the, all the benefits of surrendering and encountering and obeying Jesus. And that's really important. And I hope all of you guys have figured out how you get that. It might not look like my stuff, but all of us need to get that. Otherwise, we will just be on our own as we crack on with our days. However, I'm not going to talk to you about that. There's something else at play that isn't obvious on the first reading. So back up a little bit. Matthew, who's one of Jesus' disciples, he's a Jewish young man, and he is speaking primarily in his gospel to a Jewish audience. And they will only be thinking of one thing when they hear about the Jesus facing temptation to disobey God in the wilderness. They will immediately be thinking of Israel. After they escape Egypt and slavery to Pharaoh and spend around 40 years or so wandering around the wilderness until they eventually enter the promised land. And when Jesus quotes scripture back to Satan, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 through to 8, in which Moses is addressing Israel after their wanderings, but before their entry into the promised land. So what was really happening is Jesus was learning the lessons which God had intended Israel to learn. And the Israelites, if you don't know, their record was absolutely abysmal. They doubted God's provision. They demand they return to Egypt. They failed to trust God's provision of food and water out of thin air. They turned to other gods uh, when they doubt God. And Israel, who interestingly is known as my son, my firstborn in Exodus 4.22, is tested. The son in the wilderness is tested and fails miserably Whereas Jesus, the Son of God, resists the needs to put God to the test. The Jewish believers would also not just think of Israel in the wilderness, but who would they also think of that was tempted that's recorded in the Old Testament? Who else comes to mind? The most famous two people that were tempted in the Old Testament. Adam and Eve. They would think of Adam and Eve. This time they were in a beautiful garden, being tempted by the devil to rebel against God's command and eat the forbidden fruit. But like Israel, they fail at the first hurdle. And it's interesting, we've just read from Matthew, but when you read the same account in Luke, he inserts the genealogy of Jesus before the wilderness experience. It's like uh, the genealogy goes all the way back to Adam. 
And it's, he's trying, if you like, to underline the connection between the first Adam of Eden and the last Adam, Jesus, in the wilderness. He's like pointing to it, saying there is a reordering that is happening. And just as a side note, the nature of the temptations that Jesus faces is also interesting. They were aimed at seducing Jesus into achieving legit, legitimate things, but by a sinful or illegitimate means. Particularly the last one. Remember, the last one is where the devil takes him to a mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you just bow down and worship me, you can have those. Now, Jesus knew that all power and authority and all the kingdoms of the world would be given to him. But he knew the path to it would involve suffering and the cross, not evading it through quickly kneeling and worshipping the devil. So when any Jewish believer would read this account in Matthew 4, read about a Messiah who was tempted and see his ability to resist the temptations, to, avoid, to, to, if you like, undo the failures of Israel and Adam, they would see Jesus overcoming the devil and faithfully obeying their father, and it would be incredibly meaningful for them. Everyone still with me? So the point is this. If we are to overcome temptation like Jesus, we must do so from the position of being in Christ. His victory becomes ours by grace. So that when we face challenges, we do so from this position of power and victory. The overcomer of sin is living in me. His power is my power. His resolve is my resolve. His authority over sin is now my authority over sin. And this is why this is just absolutely important for us. We often think the key to change is initiating some new behaviors or new habits. When temptation comes along our way, we think about what we need to do. However, that is only ever one side of the equation, and it's actually the weaker side of the equation. We also need to think about our self-perception, in other words, who we think we are. King Solomon, who was renowned for his wisdom, said this in Proverbs 23. He said, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. This means there is no chance of changing the way we live before we transform the way we think about ourselves. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and tell them that? You can read it from there. There's, there's no, this means there's no chance of changing. Do you want to just turn to the person next to you? Best preacher's voice. So this is such an important principle in us becoming different sort of people that handle temptation in a different sort of way. Uh, a guy called James Clear, who's written a, a really popular book called Atomic Habits, he talks about, I think he's got a Christian background, but he talks about identity resist, uh, resistance versus behavior resistance. 
So when that temptation comes, your identity is a much more powerful indicator of resistance rather than just changing behavior. He says it's hard to change your habits if you never change the underlying belief that led you to your past behavior. You have a new goal, a new plan, but you haven't changed who you are. In other words, your who always unlocks your do. So if we, if you're a Christian in the room, we take seriously our new identity in Christ when temptation comes away, we shouldn't say to the temptation to buy the big Toblerone, I could buy you, but I'm choosing not to because I'm a godly person. We should say, I'm not the kind of person who goes to chocolate for comfort anymore. I could do that, but I can't as a follower of Jesus empowered by the Spirit. Because if that's your true identity, then really you're not the sort of person that's interested in meeting that need for comfort in something that is far less than God himself. That's your true identity. It's a bit like if you're a vegetarian. God bless you. My guess is if you've been a vegetarian for a bit of time, you are not tempted to eat meat. Because it's simply not who you are anymore. See, your identity is in vegetarianism. Vegetarians don't feel the need to eat meat anymore because it's just not who they are. Vegetarians don't eat meat. They're convinced they don't need to. Therefore, They resist the temptation to eat the meat. And my guess is the longer you're a vegetarian, the more you can walk past the sausages and bacon and not feel this urge to fill your face with them. Because it's just not you. You just don't do that sort of thing. Do you get the point? The Apostle Paul so wanted Christians, new believers to receive a revelation from the Holy Spirit of everything that is already theirs in Christ. He taught the moment that you respond to God's invitation, you die to your old life, you are buried, and you're now raised with Christ. You become this new creation. There is new life with new desires and a new community to be part of. 1 John describes it like this, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. I mean, that's such a bold thing for him to say. No one that is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go in sinning. Why? Because he's been born of God. There's something new that's happened. There's spiritual DNA that has been put in you. You've been given a new start, a new nature. We're no longer in that first Adam who set the pattern for human disobedience and sin which we're unable to escape by our own efforts. But now we're in Christ, whose righteousness, whose obedience sets us free to live this righteous, obedient life in him. Gloriously, our identity, it's, it's received. You don't achieve it. You don't get to a certain standard of Christianity and you're like, okay, now I get the good stuff. Right from the word go, You are changed from within. Your identity is now in Christ. You are united to Christ in an inseparable way. And what is more, what we believe as Christians is the spoils of victory that Jesus wins for us at the cross and through the resurrection means we have power now 
like he did in the wilderness to overcome the worst the devil throws at us. In the words of Tabiti Onyabwili, he says, Jesus died, death is destroyed. Satan, the one who holds the power of death, is destroyed. Death and sin no longer have mastery. Death cannot separate us from the love of God. This is why the gospel, when it's properly understood, floods a man or woman with such delight and boldness in the face of death. This is why Paul almost sings, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We're free. We're no longer slaves to sin. The power of sin has been broken. It had us in chains. It had us beaten and humiliated. But Jesus has set us free. He's cut loose the change. Sin's impact is not totally destroyed, but it is defeated. So the cross is the ground zero of our battle against sin and its effect in our lives. Amen? Amen. And it's fascinating when you read how Jesus battles this temptation. What's key for him and what is key in the battle is his identity as God's son is the first thing that the devil attacks. Even before he tries the weak spot of 40 days worth of hunger, he goes for his identity. Matthew 3, 16 and 17. This is just before he goes into the desert. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. God speaks audibly to Jesus, so other people hear, it only happens three times in all the gospels, and he reminds Jesus at his baptism, you're my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And then two verses later, the devil says in verse three, The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He's questioning his identity. He's saying, if what God said was true, then you'd be able to turn these stones into bread. The proof is in the miracle. But Jesus was resolute. He stood firm. He was secure and stable. He knows his identity as God's son is not dependent on him performing certain miracles. It's dependent on God the Father. So how does this work out for us? Well, when temptation comes, it's easy to think that we'll overcome Satan and his lies simply by knowing more scripture than he does. And please hear me, it's important that we know scripture If anything, we can go down a route where it can feel a bit like Harry Potter versus Voldemort. So you get into a duel with the devil where Satan throws you a temptation and you ward it off by going, oh no you don't, 1 Peter 3 verse 8. (laughs) Bam! And then Satan comes back with another one and you say, oh but I know the genealogy between Eliud and Joachim in Matthew 1. And Satan says, whoa, I can't take that. I'm fooled again by your superior knowledge of the Bible. So the problem with just throwing out Bible verses is no matter how much you've memorized, Satan still knows more verses than you. 
He's had centuries of practice. And reciting the one verse you happen to know, perhaps it's, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, isn't going to automatically send him running away in fear. There is something specific about God's word that Jesus recalls, something that undergirds every verse he quotes, something so powerful that not even Satan, with all his knowledge, can refute it. And it's about his identity in the Father's eyes. Everything Jesus quotes ultimately goes back to his security, that God has said, I'm his son. I don't need to move on any of this stuff until he says. I don't need to bypass the roots of the cross and to future glory because God's told me what he wants me to do. We don't battle Satan mainly by what we determine to do, but by declaring what Jesus has already done for us. By defiantly declaring our identity in Christ, the fact that Jesus overcame Satan's lies when we couldn't, we overcome Satan by trusting in his victory and asking the Spirit to overcome temptation through us. So the Apostle Paul, when he writes a little bit later in 1 Corinthians 10, he's able to say this, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It means there are unlimited resources of strength to resist because Christ is in you. Every temptation is escapable. Now, just a couple of days ago, uh, my gym buddy um, has been doing the journey of book writing with me, and she's trying to write a book, and I've been trying to write a book. We've been sharing stories. And she said to me earlier in the week, because uh, she knows that it's now launched, and she said, oh, I'd like to read your book. And she's not Christian. Uh, you know, we're pretty honest with each other, but I just see her a couple of times a week, and she doesn't know everything that's going on in my life. And um, I, said, uh, I said, yeah, I can give it to you, but I hope you're going to be my friend by the end of it, because it's going to take you to a, a deeper level of faith and my journey with Jesus than you've heard at the gym. And so I got back home and I, I got a book and I, I wrote a little thing in message to her. And I just felt that, you know, that little prompt to be really bold in what I wrote to her, which was the gist of it was like, I hope you find God and true hope through reading this book. And I don't know why, but I think it's just my fear of what she thinks. But the temptation over the next couple of days just to give her a different book and write something less <laughs> sort of, you know, just intense and forthright. And the absolute key to me being secure enough to give her a book where I've just been a little bit more direct is knowing that her opinion of me and her potential rejection of me isn't as important as God's acceptance of me. And that's how it works out, this stuff. In those little moments where you're tempted to back off, you're tempted just to fudge things, you're tempted to run to stuff that you shouldn't. Like this is where it makes a difference. Your fight isn't just to bear, like white-knuckle it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But your true fight is your identity. 
from heaven. Your who unlocks your do. Do you want to stand with me? I'd love to pray for us. We're going to have a moment to worship and then break bread, take communion together. Everyone's invited to the table. I'd love you to use that as an opportunity to just come before the Lord. But let me just pray really quickly for us. Do you want to bow your heads with me? Perhaps you just want to close your eyes for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus' example. Thank you so much, Lord, that um, uh, there's no distractions in this room. <laughs> whatsoever but thank you Lord that you know every battle that every person in this room is facing big and small and I pray what we've shared today what we've read in scripture would equip us to fight temptation in your name we pray Amen